Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Under the Sea Baz podcast, a deep dive into global protest. It's been a while. In my most recent episode, it was the beginning of 2020, and there was something ominous and strange in the world that personally indicated that this was going to be a topsy-turvy year. And boy, has it been. The global pandemic of COVID-19 pretty much put a halt to most major protests around the world, with some exceptions, of course. Namely, the biggest demonstrations still currently happening at a global scale have to do with people fighting against the injustices in large-scale system of police brutality, specifically against the black community. Whether that is in the United States, Canada, France, Brazil, or even in Israel, countries all over the world are protesting in solidarity against an aggressive police force fighting the citizens they are meant to protect. This episode is not about the Black Lives Matter movement or the protest against police brutality. Not because I believe it's not meant to be covered, it most certainly does, but because there's already so much news about the protest, I feel like I'll just be another voice in the void. Instead, I'm going to take a deep dive into another protest, sort of gaining momentum with little major news coverage, and that is a protest currently going on in the Philippines. So let me re-welcome you to the Under the Sea Bass podcast. In this episode, let's travel to the country of the Philippines. The Republic of the Philippines is an archipelagic country in Southeast Asia, consisting of about 7,641 islands that are broadly categorized under three main geographical divisions. Luzon, Visayas, and Mindanao. The Philippines shares oceanic borders with Taiwan, Japan, Palu, Indonesia, Malaysia, Brunei, Vietnam, and China. With a population of over 100 million, it is the 8th most populated country in Asia and the 13th most populated country in the world. It is also rich in biodiversity, multiple ethnicities, with over 150 individual languages spoken. They also set the world record for most women breastfeeding simultaneously at 3,541 in 2006. So, you know, you do what you want with that information. Anyways, lately, the Philippines will usually make it to mainstream headline news, usually when there is a story regarding its eccentric president, Rodrigo Duterte. And this time, it's no different. Days after President Rodrigo Duterte certified House Bill Number 6875 as urgent, the lower house passed a controversial anti-terrorism measure. This amid fierce criticisms that the bill may be used to suppress government critics or lead to human rights violations. Alright, so here's the backstory. On June 3rd, the Philippines House of Representatives passed a bill that would give state authorities an unprecedented degree of power to arrest and detain any person or organization that it chooses to consider to be a terrorist. The following day, despite a ban on public gatherings over fears of the coronavirus, hundreds of people, mostly wearing face masks and practicing social distancing, gathered in the capital Manila to protest the bill. 
growing outcry over the anti-terror bill boils over into a day of protest in Quezon City, with dozens of people calling to scrap the proposal, braving the threat of COVID-19. Police arrest at least eight activists during a protest rally in Cebu City against the anti-terrorism bill. Police say the activists were arrested at the protest site near the University of the Philippines, Cebu, for violating a ban on mass gatherings under the General Community Quarantine, or GCQ. The new legislation, dubbed the Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020, is being hailed by the government as a necessary bill needed to fight extremism in the country. Especially since after their bloody siege in 2017, ISIS militants and their proxy networks continue to lurk in the southern Philippine city of Marawi, poising as a major concern for continual violence. So far, the violence has left the Muslim-majority city in ruins. But for those opposing the bill, the problem lies in the wording. They argue it's kind of vague and can easily be open for interpretation by the government. And we all know that the devil is in the details. Here's what it states. An individual, as well as a group, commits terrorism when he or she engages in acts intended to cause death or serious bodily injury to any person, or endangers a person's life, or causes extensive damage to public property, in order to create an atmosphere or spread a message of fear. Okay, pretty straightforward there. It goes on to state, It is a criminal offense to incite others to commit terrorism by means of speeches, proclamations, writings, emblems, banners, or other representations tending to the same end. Hmm, okay, that's where it gets a little, but actually a lot vague, and I'll explain why later. The new law would also create an anti-terrorism council, consisting of members appointed by the president, that would give the green light to authorities to arrest people it designates as terrorists and to detain them in a jail without charge for up to 24 days before being presented in front of a judicial authority. If found guilty of terrorism, people run the risk of life in jail without parole, and for those found to be inciting terrorism, or how the government chooses to interpret it, they could face up to 12 years in federal prison. Organizations like the United Nations and Human Rights Watch worry that this new law would allow the Philippine government to arrest and imprison anyone who happens to, I don't know, perhaps, criticize the government, or even President Duterte himself. Or if you happen to be an organization that displeases the president, you may risk being labeled a terrorist, which is kind of a really mean thing to label someone as. And legally, well, it could pretty much ruin your life. But now, if you're wondering, why would people be so worried about the Philippine government and its president using this bill to possibly become an authoritative dictator and police state? Well, to answer that question, let's go back to the year that was. 2016. Rodrigo Duterte is elected the 16th president of the Philippines. The Philippines has a new president. Rodrigo Duterte, the controversial former mayor of Davao City, has been sworn in following his resounding election victory in May. The 71-year-old has promised to bring back the death penalty and during his inaugural speech in the capital Manila, he vowed a relentless and sustained battle against crime and corruption.
Rodrigo Duterte, also known as Dingong or Rodi, became president on June 30th, 2016 at the ripe age of 71, making him the oldest person ever to assume the presidency in the Philippines. Duterte, who was mayor of Davao City, or in some role of it for nearly 30 years, campaigned on a strongman platform of rooting out crime and killing anybody connected to drugs. Davao City, a coastal city on the southern Philippine island of Mindanao, first known for its lawlessness and rampant drug use in the 1980s, was ultimately transformed into one of the safest cities in the world, and that's according to the World Crime Index. And that's all thanks to the rather harsh, but some may argue necessary disciplinary and tactics taken by Mayor Duterte and his family. In their many years in charge, they passed several ordinances to root out petty crime, like prohibiting the sale of alcohol after 1 a.m., strictly reducing the speed limit, banning the use of smoking in certain areas, and even banning firecrackers. Breakers of the law were met with heavy fines and punishment. But ultimately, Duterte is more infamously known for his Punisher-type approach to drug users and sellers. In Davao, if you were a suspected drug dealer, drug user, or major criminal of any sort, you were killed. Executed by the police, or by vigilantes on motorcycles, or mercenary death squads, how some have called it. He was essentially the mercilessness firebrand leader for law and order. And the people of Mindanao loved him for it. He's very effective. He's, uh, he's very inspiring. It would be better to kill drug suspects or persons who are generally involved with drugs rather than seeing civilians or innocent people um, getting killed. All right, so now Rodi has taken that success he had in Davao City and transitioned it over to the presidency. He ran on the same platform of rooting out crime and corruption, this time in the entire country. In 2013, the Philippines' homicide rate was the highest in Asia and the 11th highest in the entire world. Duterte promised to fix that problem. And he connected with Filipinos who were tired of the rampant crime, corruption, and inequality in the country. Plus, on the campaign trail, he wasn't shy of restricting his tongue and speaking his mind. Even considered to be the Trump of the Philippines, he was very open about his intentions if and when he became president. If I make it to the president, I will do just what I did. I will kill you. I will kill all you making the, the life of the Filipino miserable. Hitler massacred 3 million Jews. Now, there is 3 million, there's a 3 million drug addict. I'd be happy to slaughter them. You are free to kill the idiots. That is my order to you. At least I kill to protect people. I've seen America, and it's lousy. And just a quick side note here, not to be undone himself, Donald Trump in 2017 visited Duterte in the Philippines and asked the president to, well, sing him a song. And Duterte obliged. I will play this clip from the end when Duterte wraps up. Wow. Anyways, so now, Rodi is president of the Philippines, and he wasted no time getting to work and keeping his promises. In his first six months as president, some reports say close to 6,000 people were killed in his war on drugs, 
And by 2018, that number allegedly climbed to 12,000 people. But Duterte supports the killings, as well as defying his critics. When the Roman Catholic Church spoke out against his extrajudicial killings, Duterte called out the church's past on sexual abuse and even referred to Pope Francis as a son of a whore. In a country where over 92% of the population are Catholics, you would think this would cause Duterte's popularity to drop significantly. Mm, not quite. Then, when the International Criminal Court opened an investigation into the alleged 12,000 killings, Duterte responded by announcing the Philippines' withdrawal from the ICC. And then, when the United States condemned the killings, Duterte responded by hitting up Russia's Vladimir Putin and tried to become buddy-buddy with him. But alright, before I make him out to seem like some ruthless, no-nonsense snuffer of anybody committing some drug-related crime, there are some positive notes to his administration. One of Duterte's main objectives is to greatly enhance the economy by spending millions on infrastructure and on social spending programs to help the poor. The government program, whimsically named Build Build Build, has helped GDP in the Philippines grow at a rate of 6.3% in 2018 and 6% in 2019. But despite his continued popularity in the country, Duterte still faces many critics at home. Um, he has shown a very big aversion to dissent. Um, there have been many instances that when when individuals or, or organizations have been very vocal of their opposition to some of the president's policies, um, the reaction is really unexpected. And the message is that, number one, that dissent is not welcome. That was Lenny Robredo, Duterte's own vice president, talking tough on his actions. And to expand on what Vice President Robredo was alluding to, Duterte's brash style and more populist approach to politics has many wondering if the usual democratic institutions in the country are in jeopardy. His political opponents are quick to receive threats by the president or endure political retribution. One example would be when a staunch Duterte critic in Congress, Senator Leila Magistrado de Lima of the Liberal Party, initiated a Senate investigation into the extrajudicial killings of suspected drug offenders, President Duterte promptly removed her from her role as chair of the Senate Committee on Justice and Human Rights. Weeks later, she was charged and detained for allegedly taking bribes from drug dealers and sleeping with her driver. Her personal number and address were then broadcasted on national television, which led to constant threats and harassment by many people. That was three years ago. Senator de Lima continues to remain in detention, with many saying she is wrongfully detained. Another example would be Duterte's on-again, off-again relationship with the media. When the Philippines' largest media conglomerate network, ABS-CBN, ran an investigative piece questioning the extrajudicial killings of citizens, President Duterte, who due to a constitutional ruling and having a supermajority in the legislature, refused to renew their broadcasting license in time before it expired and basically forced them off the air, all while the coronavirus pandemic was going on. This was just a few months ago, back in March of 2020. And though ABS-CBN is currently back on the air, many describe this as a direct attack on the country's democracy and press freedoms. I mean, just imagine if Donald Trump had the power to refuse broadcasting rights to any media organization that he doesn't like or deem as fake news. We'll probably all be stuck watching Fox News. Or worse, OAN. But anyways, back to Duterte in the Philippines. It is for these reasons, and perhaps a few others, that despite violating stay-at-home orders because of the coronavirus, 
Hundreds of concerned Filipinos are protesting this latest anti-terrorism bill. Many see Rodi's lackadaisical approach to the killings from his war on drugs, his callous attitude toward anybody who disagrees with him, and his strongman ability to shut down any organization or media network that tries to defy him as rationale in trying to prevent his government from continuing to suppress personal liberties and human rights. Hey, even Taylor Swift of all people is standing up against this bill. Or, I guess, just posting about it on her Instagram page. Which is close enough, right? Okay, so let's zoom out. What is this bill again, and why is it controversial? The anti-terrorism bill calls for anyone identified as terrorist to be immediately arrested and detained for up to 24 days. And some of the things that can be considered an act of terrorism can possibly be used against organizations or political opponents of the president if, say, for instance, they try to organize political rallies against the president, all the while using speeches, proclamations, writings, emblems, and banners in the process. Things that any organization typically utilize for marketing purposes. But now with this new law, it could be interpreted as acts of terrorism. The sentiment is about resisting oppression expressed by this protester. Being able to rebel against oppression is something that is so central to being Filipino. And by pushing for this anti-terror bill, Duterte and his cronies are trying to remove the very essence of what it means to be Filipino, uh, which is to struggle against imperialism and to struggle against oppression. The government, and as an extension the military of the Philippines, has stated that they will not do such things like using it to harass political opponents, and that this bill is simply for trying to root out Islamic extremists, and as an extension, communist rebels in the country. This is what Lieutenant General Gilbert Gape of the Philippine Army told ANC News. It would enable us because, uh, you know, they're still spousing, uh, you know, armed violence to bring about change in our society. They need support. They need finance and logistics support. Uh, would also uh, enable us to, to cut that umbilical cord. Okay, so let's wrap this up. The main thing to remember here is that currently, the Philippines, like the rest of the world, is experiencing havoc caused by the coronavirus. As of the time of this recording, there have been over 27,000 cases of COVID-19 with over 1,000 deaths in the Philippines. Plus, the economy itself has taken a major hit. And of course, let's not forget the continuous violent acts of terror caused by Islamic extremists like the Abu Sayyaf group and the Bangsamoro Islamic freedom fighters in the provinces of Marawi and Maguindanao. All of these factors put the Philippines and as an extension, the executive government, in a rather bizarre position. They risk losing popularity if they fail to handle all of these crises well, but also means they have full control and power to instill any decision at their disposal. And this new anti-terror bill can fuel that desire for more state power over its citizens. As of now, millions of Philippine citizens still continue to support President Duterte's more rigid and blunt approach to national politics and believe he's doing a great job. Overall, though, in my humble opinion, President Duterte is not the first, nor the only, nor the last government leader in charge to engage in hardball politics and use means of intimidation to achieve their goals. But purely based on observation, Duterte and his supporters are not shy to exploit their authority as a means of shutting down dissent. And with tactics such as social media trolling, mass incarceration, legal proceedings, and extrajudicial killings being used to validate their, one may argue, questionable actions, 
The Philippines may risk sacrificing their liberties and freedom in the name of law and order. Will the Philippine government keep its promise of not using this anti-terror bill to go after political opponents, instead just focus on battling the Islamic extremists terrorizing their country? Well, for that, we will have to wait and see. But in the wise words of Edgar Watson Ho, half the promises people say were never kept and were never made. This has been Under the Sea Bass in the Philippines. Thank you for listening. As always, thank you so much for listening to Under the Sea Bass, this episode on the Philippines. Uh, just a quick thank you to uh, the sources that I used for this episode. Uh, reporting done by Karen Lemma of Reuters, Al Jazeera's Anna P. Santos, Time Magazine's Nash Jenkins, Michael Ray from Encyclopedia Britannica, The Washington Post's Emily Rojala, Bong Sarmiento of the Asia Times, The Associated Press, David Timberman's amazing paper for the Carnegie Institute on Rodrigo Duterte, Human Rights Watch, ANC News, DW News, France 24 News, and of course, trusted sources on Wikipedia. If you're listening to this on Spotify or on Apple Music or any other podcast streaming platform, I thank you for listening to Under the Sea Bass. If you have any questions or comments, throw them my way with an email at underthesebasspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, remember to expand your mind, join the movement, and learn all about global protest here on Under the Sea Bass. Talk to you soon.